seated. All right, let the young people slip out the back for Children's Church at this time. And it's always our privilege to have Brother Wayne with us. And it's, it's been a while as he's experienced some health issues. I'm sure he'll touch on that this morning just a little bit. But uh, it's great to have him back. And he is always a blessing. And, and I'm telling you, every time I hear him preach, he challenges me, which is what I need. And so I appreciate that and uh, in his preaching. And so, Brother Wayne, you come and share what the Lord's laid on your heart today. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you. Uh, for those of you who don't know myself, my name is Wayne McCray. There's my wife, Patrice. And I am talking because I'm stalling. You're supposed to be getting used to my voice about now. <laughs> uh, indeed, it is a joy to be with you. I thank the Lord first and foremost for the opportunity to be with you. Thank you, Pastor Biggs, for having us and letting us come and be a part of your services as you worship the Lord today. He is worthy of it, isn't he? So thankful for the selections. Uh, for those of you who did musical selections, thank you for making our worship experience that much richer uh, through your contributions and through your sharing it together in that moment uh, with them, uh, which each of them. All right. Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter number five. And that's where we will take off this morning. It is, uh, I am not a stranger to the church. I've been here a few times, and as I look out, I see some familiar faces. It's good to see you all again. I mean that with every fiber of my being. It is very good to be with you again and to see you again and to make your acquaintance again. All right, one verse here this morning in 1 Thessalonians 5, and his verse number 17. The Bible says, pray without ceasing. I suppose about now I could stop preaching then, right? I mean, that really is a mouthful. Pray without ceasing. One of the early verses that Crystal, our daughter, memorized was this passage of scripture. I think it went something like pray out ceasing, you know, as close as you can get for a little child, uh, but not too bad, huh? But, but specifically the verse says pray without ceasing. It's a tremendous passage. We'll explore it together. Let's pray first, though, and ask the Lord's help as we look at the passage. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you for the largesse of Pastor Biggs. Thank you for the generosity of this New Testament church. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to participate 
in the worship service uh, that just preceded this. And thank you for this opportunity to open your book. I pray that we will glean things from it that will help us. We ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I've entitled this morning's message, Fostering the Attitude of Trust. It's a weird, uh, it's a strange title, you might say. It says, Pray Without Ceasing, Brother McCray. Yep. And I've entitled today's message, Fostering the Attitude of Trust. So what's the problem? The problem is that the title seems to have nothing to do with the actual words of the verse. That's what the problem is. You're correct in making that observation. But let me add to that, if I could, please. Can we really pray without exercising trust? So a component in praying is this act of trusting God for something, isn't it? Yeah. So it, it fits. In the long run, it fits. I think, Pastor, it is true when we say that God is interested in my internal life, what's happening inside of me. God is interested that way with regards to you also. He is very much interested in what you are. You see, God doesn't put much weight on the idea of what you do, though that is important, but it grows out of what you are. That is of supreme importance to him. There are times that I do write, Pastor, and I allow my body or my mind or my emotions to catch up. And if you've experienced that, you're in good company, amen? Because there are times when I do the right thing, but it's not always because of the right reasons. Sometimes a part of me has to catch up. God knows about that part of me too. And as I look at this passage, God is not only requiring the right kind of person, he is requiring the right kind of behavior also. He says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Some of you may remember this, but a attitude, fostering the attitude of trust, an attitude is a settled way of thinking or feeling about something or something. It is reflected in our behavior. How many of you have ever said, boy, he has an attitude? <laughs> yeah, you saw something in their behavior that said, mm, there's an attitude there, boy. And we all understand that. We all know what that means. We know, all know what that is about. But an attitude is a settled way of thinking or feeling or behaving in a certain way. I read a post. It was from the Harvard Business Review. It says this, and if you listen carefully, I'll try to read it. It says, 
we think of trust as precious, and yet it is the basis of almost anything we do as civilized people. Trust is a reason we're willing to exchange our hard-earned paychecks for goods and services, pledge our lives to another person in marriage, cast a ballot for someone who will represent our interest. We rely on laws and contracts as safety nets, but even they are ultimately built on trust in the institutions that enforce them. We don't know that, injust, that justice will be served if, someone goes, if something goes wrong, but we have enough faith in the system that we're willing to make high stakes deals with relative strangers. The article observes that trust is a part of the fabric of everyday life for the average individual. I think as we look at that and think about that, that's pretty true, isn't it? But as Christians, we're concerned about trust for other reasons, aren't we? One of those reasons is the very foundation of my relationship with God depends on this idea of a trust in him. For who so loved the I can't quote the verse now, forgive me. It escapes me. The Lord loveth a cheerful giver. Certainly that is true. But the Lord also loves the person who is the one who is of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You see, the Bible teaches that love, and as we look at it, the truth of, of trust it is always accompanied with this being the foundation of our relationship with God. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. At the very foundation of our relationship with God is this idea of trust. So as Christians then, this idea, this concept, this belief in trust is fundamental to how we operate. We also know as believers that we do not abandon trust at the end of, of trusting Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, correct? Mm -hmm. It's a part of the fabric of all that we do for the rest of our Christian experience, right? Let me ask you a question then. How many of you had God come down this morning, sat at your breakfast table, and you talked to him directly? How many? Show of hands, okay? Nobody is showing the hands because not a single one of us sat down with God literally, literally this morning and had coffee with him. We didn't do that, right? He's not about to show up. Because our relationship, our interaction with him, and the basis of our interaction with him is always a matter of faith. One day we will see him, amen? amen. One day we will be with our Lord, correct? Amen. 
we're looking forward to that. But for now, it's a matter of faith. And so at the foundation of, of our coming into a relationship with Christ and our growth in that relationship with Christ, uh, with God through Jesus Christ, is faith, this trust, this confidence rests on a foundation of trust. So trust, then, is important to us, then. Amen? I was reading an account of Hudson Taylor, the missionary to China. And Hudson Taylor started out on his journey on something you and I would call much like a, a ship, a, a boat, a ship, you would say. There was a captain, there was a crew, the whole kid and caboodle. And the boat was at a place in the trip where it was becalmed. I had to look that word up, preacher. The word becalmed means, are you ready? Are you ready? It means still. <laughs> the boat was still. And the boat had come to a place where it was still. That's not a big deal, but the boat was near cannibals. It was near a cannibal island. And it was slowly making its way towards the reefs of that island. Well, the captain became concerned. Wouldn't you? Sure you would. Of course you would. He then beseeched, he begged Mr. Taylor, the missionary, why don't you get in touch with your God concerning our situation? Mr. Taylor agreed. Sure, I will pray if you will endeavor to unfurl your sails. Well, the captain, of course, refused to unfurl his sails in a dead calm. So he told Mr. Taylor, here's the word, no. Mr. Taylor replied by saying, well, if you will not endeavor to unfurl your sails, then I will not pray. It didn't take the captain long to say, okay, 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 right? And so the captain unfurled his sails. Mr. Taylor, the missionary, began to pray, and he prayed, and he prayed. And there came a knock at his stateroom's door. Are you still praying, Mr. Taylor? Mr. Taylor, the missionary, stated, Yes, I'm praying. The captain replied, Well, you'd better stop now. We have all the wind we can do with. You see, God could be trusted with not only a missionary's vision and anticipation of a work in China, but God could be trusted. He could be believed on. He could be looked to. He could be appealed to by his people. That missionary knew it, understood it, and he called upon God to meet the need, and God showed up in great way, in a great way. This passage says, pray without ceasing. It would be great to understand what that word pray means, doesn't it? 
It would be good to understand that part about without ceasing, Brother McRae. You're anxious. I can see you want to know that, don't you? I'm not dealing with it yet. <laughs> but I will get there, Lord willing. Let's look at this idea of praying before I delve into some of the specifics. You recall the words of the Lord Jesus, correct? The Lord Jesus said this in Matthew 21, 21. Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. In all things whatsoever ye shall, ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. It seems to me the Lord Jesus made some pretty strong statements here. Wouldn't you agree? He says, among other things, Verily I say unto you, if ye have faith and doubt not. This idea of faith is very much associated with this idea of trust, isn't it? Jesus is involving the very same thing that I'm involving, and he's applying it to prayer this time, isn't he? And so as we look at the passage, we learn that it's imperative to exercise this confidence in God. And it must be minus this idea of doubting. But yet doubt is so much about who I am and where I am and what I'm experiencing, isn't it? But Jesus required that if we have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done unto the fig tree, but also if ye shall ha say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. Certainly the Lord Jesus had cursed the fig tree, as he said, but he said, You disciples, those of you who, those of you who are believers, those of you who are trusting God, those of you who are developing a relationship with God through prayer, those of you disciples, you can do greater things than merely say to this fig tree, be withered from the root up. You'll do greater things than these. What greater things are these than, Brother McRae? I'm glad you asked, because Jesus goes on to answer that question. He says that those things, those obstacles, those mountains that we face can be cast into the midst of the sea. Let me look at his exact words. You shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if you shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. Jesus inculcated that we must be people who believe him to remove the obstacles, the mountains. That's a good place to pause. Amen, brother. Me too. 
That's right. We must be the people who ask God, believe God, and trust God to move the mountains. There's a part of me that wants to explain away what Jesus said here. But I won't dare succumb to that temptation. There's a part of me that wants to qualify what Jesus says here. Jesus is talking to disciples. And that is as much as I will do to qualify the passage. Sure, they are believers. Sure, they ask for things that are the will of God. Sure, all of these qualifiers that we will apply to prayer apply here. But simply to say the fact is, Jesus said that your mountain can be moved. Too many of us are looking at the mountains and we're comparing our mountains with each other's mountains. Preacher Biggs, my mountain is bigger than yours. Have you seen my mountain, brother? It's a big mountain. Look at this thing. And we come to the services sometimes to compare mountains. What would we be if we got rid of the mountains? For some of us, it will be a crisis of our identity. We've allowed people to describe us by our mountain. He is a, you finish it. She is a, you finish it. You see, we, we come and we compare our mountains with each other, and we call it fellowship. And Jesus is saying, your mountain can be removed and cast into the midst of the sea. What is it that is stopping you from doing the express will of God in an area of your life? That's your mountain. Did you know it can be removed and cast into the midst of the sea? Brother McCrave, Jesus is speaking metaphorically. So am I. <laughs> but the requirement that the mountain be removed is real. Amen. I'll just stand here a moment and amen myself. Amen, Brother McCrae. That is clearly the way I see it, too. Amen. Yeah. I will no longer be defined by my mountain. I will not allow a mountain to define me. I will not be the person that clings to my mountain. I'll be the person instead who takes the mountain and tell it to take a hike. Because Jesus lives in me. The one thing that identifies me and distinguishes me and sets me apart, if you can call it that, is Jesus, not my mountain. All of us have our share of troubles. Amen? If you got a minute, I'll be in your ear with mine. We all have our troubles, but our troubles do not define us. That's the words of the Lord Jesus. Amen? And so we find then, did Jesus go on to say, he says, and all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. That's what Jesus required. 
It seems to me that Jesus really believed in prayer as it fits in everyday life. How many of you know that life is riddled with trouble? There's always then an opportunity to pray and believe God. Not doubt, but believe God to do something about it. Amen. Amen. Preach, I'm getting there. I promise. I'm getting there. You're very patient. So then, let me get with the heart of what I'm getting at this morning. And it is simply this. Prayer is a form of communion with God. I pray and I get things from God. I pray I get answers from him, yes. But prayer at its very outset, at its very start, at its very heart is communion with God. The goal is certainly for me to receive things from him, but part of the goal, I should say, is to have communion and enjoy communion with him. You say, Brother McCray, that's not a new revelation. Oh, we're in good company then. Because we believe that then. Jesus said again, can I use his words one more time? Would that be all right? Amen. Thank you. I appreciate it. <clears throat> in Matthew 6, in verse number 5, Jesus tells us something about this idea of exercising trust in communion uh, with God. He says in Matthew uh, 6, 5, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut the, thy door, pray to thy God which is in secret, and thy God which seest in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, Use not vain repetition as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye asked of him. Wow. Jesus says there's a couple of ways that the hypocrite play, prays. Did he not say that? The hypocrite can stand in a public place, in an auspicious place, and pray where everybody can see them. That's how the religious person prays, you know? Or, he said, you could be like the heathen and be the person that calls upon God and says all kind of things, and it's for your much speaking that God will hear you. And Jesus says, no. None of that gets the job done. He says what matters is, is if you get into your prayer closet, just you and God alone. Let me ask you a question here. I love this. Who's to impress in that prayer closet? 
nobody. It's just you and the Lord. How wonderful that is. There's nobody to impress. Amen? There's nobody to disappoint. You see, if I come into it if trying to impress God, God already knows everything about me. So there's nothing to impress him with. If I come in to that prayer closet ashamed because of something I allowed myself to do in the flesh, and I'm ashamed before him, you know something, beloved? I still can come. <laughs> I'm not trying to make you a worse sinner. I'm trying to so show you how accessible prayer is. Even when we are at our lowest, you are still welcome in the presence of God. It has nothing to do with who you and I are. It has everything to do with who Jesus Christ is. And if our estimation of him is correct, then we will come into God's presence talking already, even if things are right with God or if things aren't right with God. We come. So it's not in the public places where people can see me, though God is not decrying public prayer, he does deal with that several places in the word of God. But here, here in this passage, he's dealing with the necessity of private prayer. And beloved, you get along with God because God needs it, right? <laughs> I tricked you, didn't I? Oh, you devil, you. I know. God's helping me. No, you get along with God because you and I need it. You see, prayer was God's invention. It is, it is his idea. And to a people who function by faith, we kind of talk to him by prayer. Amen. So it becomes necessary, right? But let us not imagine that God really needs it. It's I that really needs it. Amen? You see, God was doing fine all by himself. We, try, we find that hard to imagine being fine all by yourself. Well, let's, let's deal with that for a minute here. There was a father, there was a son, there's the Holy Spirit, correct? Mm -hmm. And within that fellowship, God found all the communion that he needs. The Father to the Son and the Spirit, the Spirit to the Son and the Father, and the Lord Jesus to the Father and to the Spirit. They had everything they need. Three distinct personalities, one God. Correct? Yeah. So prayer was invented with you and me in mind. So when we come to God 
and we're honest with him and we approach him transparently, then God is obliged to deal with us and, and even be glorified through your and my existence. Jesus says, this is how you want to approach the Father. Amen? I believe him. I accept him. I accept it. There's more that the word of God says, but I need to hurry. And let me hurry. This word pray that is used here in this text, pray without ceasing. The word pray means to speak to or to make requests of God. How many of you had that worked out already? Very good. Very good. To speak to to make requests of God. The request part, we're kind of familiar with as believers, so I'll not deal with that right now if I might be permitted to slide a little bit. Remember, I'm dealing with the idea of communion, right? So the, the definition of pray is to speak to. Certainly it is to make requests, as we said, and we all know what it means to roll out our laundry list before God, right? I've done it. You should see my laundry list. I've done it. But to speak to is also a part of what the word means. To speak to, to speak with. Can I use you as an example this morning, Pastor? Can I use you? How are you today, sir? I'm doing okay, thank you. It's good to see you. It really has been a long time. I realize how long it's been since I actually had an opportunity to speak with you directly. Thank you for the calls and your concern and your support through the stroke. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Now, what did I just do with him? That was sincere, by the way. But what did I just do with him? What did I just do? Yeah. We just conversed together. I didn't ask him for anything. We just enjoyed each other's company. Part of communion with God is simply enjoying God. <laughs> Let me clarify. How many of you just this morning had God literally come down and had tea with you, a coffee with you? Not a single one of us. But isn't it wonderful to be able to ascend in prayer and through prayer, have a conversation with him? Knowing who he is, knowing who it is that you have an audience with, I'm not rolling out my laundry list. I'm not asking for anything, though that is a part of praying, and there's nothing wrong with asking God for stuff. But part of it, it is, is enjoying communion with God. One of the privileges of being like this preacher is you have to stop, and you have to Enjoy the Lord. Sometimes that's all you can do. 
you would not believe how quick I get tired. Do you have a hat to drop? I get tired quicker than you can drop a hat. It happens that quickly. So sometimes being like a little child is not a bad thing. Sometimes God says, I know you're tired. Why don't you just come and talk to me? And sometimes I don't feel clean when I come. How many of you do Christian cussing? Don't admit it now. Don't admit it right now. Not the real cussing, Christian cussing. <laughs> right? Sometimes I do those. Christian cussing. It only happens in here, but it still happens. Let me press a little bit more. Sometimes it's based on people's political views that I don't agree with. Yeah. You understand. And in those moments when I am not right, when my spirit is not right with God, I don't depend on Wayne McCray to get me into God's presence. I look at the Lord Jesus, and he ushers me into the very presence of God, and it's based on his righteousness and his character. And all I do is choose the right place at the right time, and I come into the very presence of God. And he welcomes me there. Oh, I take care of business once I'm in there. But God has no problem welcoming into his presence people who are broke, people who need fixing, people who are hurting, people who have questions. God doesn't have a problem welcoming you into his presence because you have a quirk or two. You think that discourages him from letting you in? Can you just imagine God sitting back and said, oh, no, I'm not going to have you because your political views aren't right. Can you imagine him saying no to me? I'm nothing, but it's on the basis of Jesus Christ being everything that I get to come into God's presence. And something in me wants to thank the Lord Jesus more after such a session with the Father. Something about that makes me want to brag on the Lord Jesus more, even more, because of that. Something about that makes me appreciate him even more because he gives me such access. Pray without ceasing. Now, without ceasing, let me do that quickly. And do I have your permission to do that to do that quickly? Without ceasing is probably exactly what you imagine it means literally. If I were to take the words without ceasing and put them in another place, it basically means you stop everything else and start doing this and this exclusively. 
That's what it would mean in many other places. But when you put it here, it doesn't mean that. It's much softer. I, I need to explain that. Pray without ceasing. I want you to look at the context of this verse. Context rules, right? You always look at the context of the verse to determine what a verse means, right? So, excuse me. Rejoice evermore, verse 16. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesying. Prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. All of those are doable, correct? In the spirit of the Lord, all of those are commands that we can adhere to. But we can't simply do one of them, pray without ceasing, and ignore the rest of them, right? Look at your Bible. I'm not making it up. Excuse me. When God says that we are to pray without ceasing, he is telling us to make prayer something of a habit and to make it a constant part of your life. It's not unbroken behavior that's required here, but an attitude of trusting him consistently and always and in all things. And sometimes it's hard to trust God with everything. Right? Brother Garner touched on it this morning, and I was hoping he would just enlarge on it because it would be less work for me right now. <laughs> but in your trial, when life hurts, it is very difficult to trust God in that moment. When life is not right and, and you cry out to God until you hurt inside and it still isn't corrected yet, is it still appropriate to believe God? The answer is yes. Because, beloved, when looking to the future and looking to God finally giving you deliverance isn't enough, then I can look to the fact that God will take this and use it to conform me to the image of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. If I don't get immediate rescue from God, then I know that God is using it and God is mindful and God will use it to make me more like Jesus. And that is an ultimate desire of mine, to be more like Jesus. Isn't it yours as a believer to be more like Jesus? Sure it is. Sure it is. And so when life hurts, it's okay to come to God. I'm not asking for anything right now. Lord, I just need to be with you. I need you to be with me because I'm broken and because I'm hurting and because life doesn't make sense. 
And I know that you deal with broken people, people like me. And so we pray without ceasing. And we cling to him. When hot tears roll down your face and you can't even explain why you feel the way you do, there is a God in heaven and a God at your side that fully understands that. He understands it. You can bank on it. He understands it. In the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, he knows it. Can I go further? In the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's probably experienced it. Wherever you are in the spectrum of human experiences, wherever you are, there's a God who says, you can come and talk with me ceaselessly whenever you want. I am there to be your companion. Come on in. You're welcome here. It's on the basis of Jesus Christ. I receive you. So come on in. Come on in. If you come in the door talking, telling me all about it, God says, come on in, come on in, come on in. When you're angry and you don't understand why people have the political views that are opposite your political views, God says, come on in, let's talk about it. Whether you're happy, whether you're angry, whether you're hurting, God says, come on in. I'm your companion. I want to be with you. I'm not trying to get away with, from you. I want to be with you in this time. Mm -hmm. Will you do it? Yes. You see, I'm almost done now, preacher. Will you do it? Yes. Pray without ceasing. You will have many opportunities to come to him. But pray without ceasing. Can I pray with you? Can I do that? Father, would you please meet the needs of your precious people? We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Pastor. Let's stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed as we come to the end of the message today. What a great challenge for prayer. I really, I really thought that one statement really stuck out to me that I come at, with nothing, but I come on the basis of Jesus Christ being everything. And I, I thought that was a powerful statement how we come before God. So with our heads bowed and eyes closed, as the piano plays for just a moment this morning, Lord leads and you need to spend some time at the altar the altar is open maybe you need to sit down at your seat and pray we wait for just a moment today
All right, let's sit down just for a second, and uh, uh, we want to be able to be a blessing to Brother McCray and his ministry as he uh, goes around.